according to this research, if you do those two things, so give people options about who to report to and offer a way to report anonymously, workplace harassment and discrimination will reduce or, quote, disappear. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. This episode is brought to you by Cocoon. That's my coaching practice where I help people find their purpose, take creative risks, and define leadership on their own terms. If you're curious, you can schedule a time to chat with me at the-cocoon.co. Hello, Jessica. Hi, Lisa. Um, welcome to Should We? Thank you. It has been my dream to be on Should We? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like this episode has been a long time coming. Well, we've known each other for a long time now. Yeah. And so, okay, let's give our listeners a little bit of context. So you are the co-founder of All Turtles. That's right. And CEO of Spot. Yes. Uh, do you want to say a little bit about what each one is? Sure. So Alt Hurdles is a half startup studio, half venture studio. Essentially, we build new products and test them out on the market. Those products are all digital and most of them have some sort of um, practical approach to AI. Uh, Spot is one of the products that all turtles started out building and it's a what is now a comprehensive solution for preventing and reacting to workplace harassment and discrimination so it ties together harassment prevention training anonymous surveys and anonymous reporting into one tool i am so proud to say that i got a chance to work with you at all turtles and on spot um and I feel like I learned so much, like particularly while working on Spot, that I wish I had known as soon as I entered the workforce around, yeah. you know, uh, what is inappropriate behavior, what is unfair treatment, and what are my options when I witness or experience those things. Yeah. Um, so that's a big reason, you know, why I wanted to cover this topic with you today of like, should we report harassment and discrimination? Um, and also, you know, should we is very much about like the choices we yeah. make, the everyday choices, and then the and the big life decisions that kind of shape the course of our lives. And unfortunately, this this is a decision that too many people have to um, figure out on their own. Often. Yeah, definitely on their own with very little, usually with very little support and with a lot of kind of anxiety around even trying to talk to anyone about whether what they're experiencing, you know, may or may not qualify as harassment or discrimination. Because I think 
a lot of people are scared of coming off as, I can't think of a better way to say this, but if it's coming off as trigger happy or overly sensitive, um, and, you know, adding to that, the fact that the legal definitions of harassment and discrimination, you know, there's, there's some like obfuscation there. There's, there are some things that are a little bit difficult to understand. So you put those two things together and it's just a difficult topic to broach. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of fear around how will I be seen? Right. And what might be the consequences? And those are, you know, totally valid fears. Um, Oh my God, they're so valid. And I think one of the most interesting things, as you know, from working on spot, one of the most interesting things about this problem, which is that there is a systemic underreporting problem, right? So we know that at least 70% of incidents of harassment and discrimination go unreported. And, you know, the estimates are that it's probably closer to 90%. Um, we know what the barriers to reporting are. This is what's so bizarre about this problem, right? It's like, it's not like the barriers to reporting are a mystery, right? They're, they're quite, quite clear. Um, people fear retaliation because that happens in about 75% of cases where the reporter can be identified. People fear not being believed if they speak up or they fear that nothing's going to happen anyway, even if they do put themselves out on a limb and try to talk about what happened. And, you know, sometimes, oh, oh, and managers, right? Like, it's very, very common um, for organizations to have reporting structures in place where people are required to report to someone who's a manager or a supervisor. And, you know, statistically speaking, the majority of the time managers and supervisors are the ones doing the harassing. Um, right. And then there's right. just like, it's embarrassing, right? You and I've talked about this a lot, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to talk about something that's like emotional or traumatic with someone else at work. And so it's not like, we know, we know what the barriers are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it w- makes me think of, of like, it, of course there, there are a variety of situations I've been in where I've witnessed or experienced something that wasn't right. And yeah. I think that so often when we think about harassment and discrimination, we think about the most egregious yep. cases. Um, but like, for example, there was this time when I was a hiring manager and I, I was a relatively new manager and someone came in to interview and I tried to, I was like meeting him in the lobby and kind of trying to get his attention. And I was like, Hey, you know, hi, you're, you know, you're here to meet me. I'm I'm Lisa. <laughs> and, and he was like, oh yeah, cool, cool. Like, so who am I gonna be interviewing with? And I was like, me. You're interviewing <laughs> with me. <laughs> yes. And then he was like, You're the hiring manager? Oh my god. And I was like, Yeah. And he was like, Well, how do you get that job? Oh my god. And did you send him home? Well, no, that's the thing is that something like that is very insidious because 
he exact he spoke exactly to my insecurities, mm-hmm. which were like, you know, maybe like a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, can other people tell that? Yeah. I'm not as, I don't feel as confident as I'm supposed to be. Um, and he, yeah, he spoke right to that. Like basically saying something about what I see when I look at you tells me you don't deserve this job. And I mean, it's such a hard situation. Like, you know, at the time I had no idea, like, is what is it really that bad what should i do about this like you know it it was a very very confusing and unsettling right and and i think being confused and unsettled and feeling like it might not be the other person it might be you is uh-huh. um you know there's there's i feel like there are a lot of cultural factors that get folded into why when you know if we ask ourselves, should we report harassment and discrimination? I can, I can honestly, as a person who builds a reporting tool for people to speak up about harassment and discrimination, I can still see why the answer to that question would be no. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like, like maybe we could take a moment to like roll back into the past a little bit. Um, and talk about how you got here, like back when you were an academic, for example, did you ever imagine that one day you would become a CEO and that that tech company would focus on this? (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, um, there aren't things that I brought with me from that background that are sort of just part of how I approach this job every day because they (laughs) certainly are. Um, but no. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things for me is that the only consistency, um, that I've had in my professional life that has any bearing on, you know, working on a, a tool that relates to harassment and discrimination is that, you know, I've worked in two industries where you might say that, that this is a little bit of a an elephant in the room, right? It's, it is a problem in academia. It's a problem in higher education. Um, and it's certainly a problem in the tech industry. And I think, um, you know, I have my own, I have, you know, similar stories to what you just related when I was transitioning out of academia and starting to work in tech. Um, you know, there were, there were, there were people who were, taking chances on me and giving me opportunities. And I, you know, was definitely very insecure about that and very worried that I wasn't going to um, be able to do anything that was useful or uh, pragmatic. Um, But there were, you know, very frequently, there were a lot of men in tech very early on who were, you know, taking a risk on me. They were willing to see if I could do some, you know, the things that, um, that they needed. And that came along with other things that were not, (laughs) not as advantageous. Right. And that, I mean, it includes things like, you know, sexualized nicknames, um, 
I think at one point I was told that my nickname was, you know, the Brazilian because I happened to be a fairly curvy female with kind of long, very curly hair. Um, and, you know, there were also so offensive on so many levels. <laughs> and I think, you know, there were oh, there were a lot of. Um, yes, it's so offensive on so many levels. It, it's also, you know, pretty racist. Um, right. And it, as especially as you're um, starting out, like it, it certainly doesn't help you do no. your, fulfill your potential in this work it's like you know it's, it's really a way of undermining you and which happens like from the very beginning of one's career it can happen all the way to like you know the more and more power and authority you acquire it can feel like people will try even harder to undermine yeah. your confidence you know right yeah and you know there are there were a lot of like fairly insidious things that were often cloaked as being you know friendly or joshing um lots of invitations to like get in someone's hot tub but like you know everybody who gets in the hot tub has to be naked kind of thing um and i i just had this and i, I didn't fully understand how this all made me feel until probably a, a couple of a couple of years ago at the earliest. Um, but I think one of the things that that does is, you know, I think a lot of a lot of people who come from underrepresented groups in tech, and that's, you know, it's it's women, of course, but it's definitely not primarily about gender, um, tend to have kind of what you described earlier, which is a form of imposter syndrome. But it definitely really just dug that like dug the shards of that into my soul right because I couldn't help but wonder if I was only there if I was only getting work if people were only willing to take a chance on me because you know maybe they thought I was a semi-attractive female right like maybe that's a good reason to have someone around and mm. your skills aren't really worth anything or you're not really adding anything of value so it kind of it, it goes right back around to this question of like do i really deserve this job and do other yeah. people think i deserve this job exactly and and like am i and you know is what i'm producing is it valuable is it high quality i don't <laughs> when when you're not sure if you're there for the right reasons that that's a difficult that's it's a difficult thing right and there's something i i feel like i'm i'm seeing this connection that maybe you've written about before, like that in academia and in tech, these are like very idealistic realms. Yes. And I feel like there's this, I don't know, at least when for myself being in each of those contexts, I would get all wrapped up in the idealism of it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. We do things differently, right? Because you know, we're I mean, it's intoxicating. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're not in industry, so we, <laughs> we can have a pure life of the mind. Or yeah. like, well, we are creating the future, right. so we will do everything better. Then it is so confusing 
and such a can can be disillusioning to face something like this where you're like wait a second now we're back in the 1950s or something what just happened here right or to sort of be put in a position and often this is you know economically driven right the thing about the tech industry is that it pays very well and so you're kind of forced to ask yourself a little you know if you're if you're self-aware if you're if you're sort of capable of processing what's happening as it's happening which is not an easy thing to do right it's much easier to just bury that stuff sometimes um and sometimes it's just there's you have too much going on emotionally or psychologically to really confront it um but i think it's it's really easy to when you do have the kind of mental and emotional energy to sit down and unpack all of it it's really easy to ask yourself if you kind of just imagined at the time that maybe it was the cost of entry right mm. to the tech industry the cost of entry to you know frankly really good salaries and really good benefits and the logos that everyone wants on their resumes it's yeah it's very scary when you feel like you have a lot to lose and right. i i certainly felt that way you know coming from not having very much at all as a kid to this world of like such abundance yeah such abundance and just such fluidity right sort of the ease with which um people can kind of set the terms of their work right and just the fluidity with which people move between roles that, that was a kind of freedom that i could not have imagined mhm yeah yeah and and so for me like it's it's been really a process of um learning how to speak up finding my voice and beginning to have confidence in my own perspective trusting my instincts when i just feel like something's off <laughs> and like investigating that yeah um and i would say like you know one of the things that i loved about working with you is that as a leader it always seems like it's really clear what you stand for like you are a very principled leader and you seem fearless about <laughs> speaking up and really you know standing up for what you believe in and i'm curious like have you always been that way what shapes your value that you live out as a leader my mother definitely taught me that you we work really hard and you try to be an honest and good and straightforward person um and you know she was she went back to school when i was in i think when i was 10 or so um and i uh, was a single parent for a while and i've never i i don't know how anyone does that i don't know how you have three children and a job and school and um are trying to make ends meet all the time um and i think i have a i have the sense of being really really lucky and fortunate um that i'm in this place where you know i'm in an industry that pays really well and that offers a decent quality of life 
And that, that sort of makes me feel like I have a responsibility, you know, not to, not to work on things that I think are making the world a worse place and to kind of like stand up for the things that I think are important. And one of the things that I think is really important is increasing representation from, from groups of all kinds in tech, right? It's like, it is such a privileged place to be. And there are so many people who don't have access to it. Um, and so I think just building, building both teams and products with an eye towards that and being kind of a little belligerent in the face of um, the sort of libertarian culture that tech tends towards just feels like, feels to me like a responsibility, right? Like mm -hmm. we as people who have already kind of garnered the privilege that this industry has to offer have the responsibility to do all of to do everything that we can to kind of increase the opportunity for you know other people to come into the space so just kind of connecting to what you were saying about growing up with this value of hard work what was instilled in me as a kid was seeing my parents work really hard no matter what yeah even when they were treated very unfairly. And right. the response to that was, well, then tomorrow I'm going to show up and work twice as hard to make sure nobody can question that I deserve this job. And so, you know, by the time I was working in tech and I had a great education and I had acquired a lot of privilege, I had to make this huge shift in my head that was like, no, that's not how I respond anymore. <laughs> I have, I have agency here. Mm. Doubling down um, is ultimately going to be counterproductive for me because I'll burn out. Yeah. Um, and because I have this responsibility to like create some change from the inside to like make things better. For whoever will come after. Right. Um, so what advice would you have for, you know, somebody, let's start with someone who is experiencing um, inappropriate behavior, or unfair treatment, and they're trying to decide, like, should I report this or like, what should I do? Yeah. I mean, there are, as we know, millions of people in this exact situation. Um, and I think it's really, really difficult to just blanket encourage people to speak up about things because depending on the kind of organization that they're in, they're potentially putting themselves at risk. Right. Um, and, and when I say putting themselves at risk, I don't just mean like, oh, somebody's going to be mad that you spoke up and you're going to get fired. There are much more insidious forms of retaliation, right? Like, um, you could end up being passed over for being considered for a promotion, or you could be given less desirable shifts. And we know that those kinds of um, subtler forms of retaliation end up being really hard on people and um, hampering their professional development. So it's it's really hard to tell people just like, you know, if something happens to you, speak up, right? Because sometimes the consequences of speaking up, it's dubious that they're that it's worth it. Um, and I think one of the things that we've learned building spot is that really 
humans are good at a lot of things, but I think getting thorough and accurate and unbiased accounts of incidents like these is not one of them, which is why we built Spot the way that we did. And I think if your organization requires you to report directly to a person, I can see why you would be hesitant to do it. And so in that case, I think the best thing to do is typically to document what happened, ideally contemporaneously, so that you have, and, and you should we, like you should do this digitally, right? So email is, is kind of fine. Um, bot is actually available for free if people want to document things for themselves and just kind of hang on to that documentation so that you have a time-stamped, securely signed record of what happened. Um, and then this goes back to one of the things we were talking about, which is a lot of times people just aren't sure if something that's happening to them qualifies as harassment and discrimination. And they're worried about being seen as trigger happy or overly sensitive. And so it's a really, really good idea to document things that feel inappropriate or unfair so that you can kind of create, even if it's just for yourself initially, a trail, like a trail of documentational breadcrumbs, right? So that you can start to see the patterns of what's happening and you can make a call about when it's actually time to escalate the situation. Document everything. And document as you go, right? Because I think one of the things that we saw with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings is that people's accounts of things that happened a long time ago will always be suspect. They will always be under question. You know, if you fear not being believed, which is a very, very valid fear, um, one of the best things to do is to document as you go mm-hmm. and ideally talk to someone else you trust, um, who you believe will, you know, keep it confidential if that's what you want and potentially ask them to document things as well. Mm-hmm. It's always, always good to have witnesses. Right. And so speaking of witnesses, one of the things that I got to learn while working on SPOT is that most incidences of harassment or discrimination have a witness. Yeah. It's pretty surprising. So um, what advice do you have for witnesses, especially people who are observing something that seems off but they're unsure what to do about it. Yeah, it turns out that most, I I think we all for a while sort of thought that, you know, harassment and discrimination has such a large uh, underreporting problem because it happens in the dark, right? But that, that is actually not true. Most instances of harassment and discrimination are witnessed by, you know, at least one other person. And witnesses have, in general, not always, but in general, more power than the victim. Um, and it's very, very, it's very validating. Um, and I say this both, like, from, you know, the perspective of someone who's experienced various forms of harassment and, you know, from the perspective of HR, whoever is looking into incidents, it is very validating to have someone else say, this is not okay. And I think we're, we've actually seen, we've, we really are seeing a fundamental shift in workplaces. Like there has been a change in what is considered acceptable. And so I think more people have a, 
kind of more refined sense of when something is inappropriate or unfair. And so documenting things as a witness, going to the person who actually experienced the thing or was the, the target of the harassment and dis- or discrimination and, and offering them your support, but also indicating that you're willing to stay anonymous about it or keep it confidential if that's what they want, kind of letting them set the terms of the narrative um, is, is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is definitely a, uh, something I can empathize with too. Like, I've been in situations where things were going fine for me. Yeah. And then I, but I was felt uneasy in some way and then started to realize that like there's, I have a peer who's being yeah. treated very differently than I am. People are, they speak differently to them. They, you know, interrupt them more. They don't accept their ideas like ever or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there could be a period of time where I'm like, I don't know, that person's nice to me. Like, maybe those two just have an issue, (laughs) whatever. And then it takes some some perspective to be able to step back and be like, wait, I think something is wrong here. I think there's something unequal, unfair going on. I'm going to just check in with that person. Like, mm-hmm. are you okay? That seemed kind of weird to me. How did it feel to you? Yeah. And I, I have been in situations that are exactly what you're talking about. And it's so interesting because some of the research that we've done on witnesses has indicated that the majority of people who witness harassment or discrimination tell someone else about it. Right. And that's because, you know, you like, but it's like a friend, uh, a coworker, somebody, the person you eat lunch with at work or get coffee with. But in general, it is not anyone who is in a position to do anything about it. Right. Mm-hmm. We conducted a large um, international witness survey in 2019. And one of the things we learned is that out of, you know, all of the witnesses uh, who either hear or directly observe, incidents of harassment or discrimination, only 23% of them ever tell HR or leadership. But the majority of them, well, well over um, half, tell friends, family members, colleagues, people they work with, you know, on their same team, just not anybody who has any managerial authority. And so it's, it's clear that, you know, we're all sort of running through these things, either kind of in our own heads, like you were talking about, or kind of processing out loud with other people because that's what you do when when you experience something that's emotional or traumatic or vexed. Um, but we're still just really afraid to speak up to people who might be able to do something about it, people who are in positions of authority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's important to acknowledge that witnesses also can experience consequences. Yes. Of an incident where, you know, it can stick with you for a long time and weigh on you. And you wonder, like, should I, what should I have done? Should I have done something differently? Um, it can could cause a lot of stress, which then, you know, you pass on to the people around you and it, it really creates a ripple effect. Yeah, exactly. And of the witnesses we surveyed, 
the ones who didn't uh, speak up to HR leadership reported for like year, feeling for years um, emotions like guilt and shame. Um, and the very small number who did report used words like hero, right? Like they felt they felt really good about what they had done. And so it, it's really interesting to see um, the effect on witnesses of either kind of idly standing by um, or actually taking it upon themselves to do something that's a little bit risky and stand up for someone else. Right. Like it's a, it's a, as a witness, you are involuntarily put in this position where you need to make a choice Yes. about what you're going to do. And, and that choice can have a really big impact on, on you and like a lot of people around you. Definitely. And, and it's worth noting that what you what you said is exactly right. Witnesses report um, dealing with the same kinds of consequences from witnessing harassment and discrimination as victims feel from experiencing it. So there's stress, insomnia, um, anxiety. There are actually you know people report physical symptoms uh, such as blood pressure issues, and so it really does these these things that happen to us that um if they're not adequately dealt with you know they end up influencing us in all kinds of ways Mm -hmm. yeah and you know i'm thinking about how um i know that we have a lot of listeners who are entrepreneurs they're founders themselves they're leaders in some way in a workplace and so they they have agency they have the power to um prevent uh things like this to create healthier workplace cultures and i'm curious to hear from you like especially since you've had this like meta experience of also creating <laughs> a workplace culture <laughs> yes. as you build this thing like what do you think are some of the, the things that leadership can do that will have the most impact? I, I think about this a lot because I feel like as a company who works on the problem of harassment and discrimination, it's incumbent on us to do better than most companies are doing at inclusivity. There, there, are, so, there are so many things that you can do, but most of them come from the top, which is one thing that I think I've realize that you know research says that you also kind of learn from experience um and you know our customers who use spot the ones that we see that are really kind of active and successful are the ones where the leadership of the company is really on board um the leadership of the company is willing to kind of stand up whether that's you know physically or like virtually in slack and say that this is something that matters and that they encourage people to speak up if they see things that are inappropriate or unfair and that, you know, um, anonymity will be respected and, uh, um, the company will do everything that it can to rectify situations that they know of for leaders. What you want to articulate is that, um, you don't see these things as complaints. You don't see them as, you know, extra work that you have to do that really, you know, if you're not hearing about things, it does not mean that 
things aren't happening. In fact, statistically speaking, we know that things are happening. Um, right, right. Like it's not, it is not a viable strategy to just hope this stuff won't happen. Like exactly. even if you, you have built like a really great workplace culture, it's just very likely that, you know, people will overstep boundaries or make mistakes, you know, um, and like, like things happen, things go wrong. You need to have a, a plan for that. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's easier for leadership than for anyone else to be in a bubble where it's possible to kind of live under the delusion that nothing is happening. Um, uh, yeah. yeah and I'm thinking also about, um, I, I think for me, it's really important that leadership are not just saying we are open to you coming to us if something right. goes wrong, but that there's a more proactive approach of, of checking in on a regular basis. Um, does everyone here feel psychological safety at work? Um, just like checking in on, on the health of that over time, especially as companies grow and change. Um, yeah. I, I think that's really important. Yeah. The, the thing that I hear from leaders where they're, they've actually managed to build pretty inclusive cultures is that their, their goal when they start working with, with a product like spot is that they want more reports, right? They don't view these as inconveniences or, you know, as I mentioned, like just other tasks to add to their list of problems that they have to deal with. Um, but they actually, they see it as a positive thing if they're getting more reports, if they're hearing more about more incidents, right? Because it means that there's less that's happening beneath the surface. So that's kind of the, the, the big meta thing for me is that leadership needs to make it really clear that people speaking up is not just, you know, it's not just that it won't get fired that it's actually incurred right that, that it's doing something good for the company if you speak up um and it's not considered complaining right it's it's really considered like helping the company sort through things that might really become irreparable problems if they're not dealt with and so that's that's kind of a meta thing and then there's all these little small things that i feel like we could all be doing that, that cost us nothing. It costs so little in so many ways to be a more inclusive, more welcoming team. One of the things that we decided to do um, was to just have everyone indicate their pronouns in their email footers and Slack profiles, right? So right. What, we, what we didn't want was to have employees come in who use, you know, potentially non-binary pronouns or uh, pronouns that are different from the ones they were assigned at birth and then have to kind of, you know, come out as a pronoun that might be different than how they um, appear. Uh, that was that was something that we that's like a, a level of emotional labor that is just not necessary. Um, and so we decided to just have everyone indicate their pronouns, uh, business cards, uh, email footers, Slack profiles, uh, just have everybody do it so that n nobody has to do the kind of emotionally laborious thing of being the exception. Right. Right. Um, and, and it makes things easier for everybody 
on exactly. so many levels. Um, I sort of want to make a comparison. I don't know if it's a sensitive, if it's a good comparison, but I'll throw it out there. See what you think. Um, it just, it makes me think about things like um, elevators and ramps. Mm. Elevators and ramps make life better for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right like yes. like everyone could have a, a situation in their life where their mobility is impacted right. in some way and so like I, I think what I'm trying to speak to is universal design mm. applied to a workplace culture yeah exactly and I think it's it's a very similar along the lines of um elevators and ramps is gender neutral bathrooms like right. why why <laughs> meaning why wouldn't you have those it's such an it's such a simple thing to do that co- costs almost nothing for anyone and it and it takes away this kind of friction and labor you know that is very distracting and frankly not just kind of bad for building an inclusive culture but also bad for productivity Right, right. If, you're, like, if you're asking people to do all this extra work, exactly. Like, like on just the most basic level, any person who is in this building for work should be able to just use the nearest bathroom yep. whenever they need to, exactly. <laughs> and move on with their lives and not have that be a stressor. Yes. Is there anything else that? you would like our listeners to know? I I think one of the things that I've learned in the last however long I've been working on spot, which I can't remember right now, um, one of the most interesting things that I've learned is that there are really, really clear things that workplaces can do that will actually reduce harassment and discrimination or make them disappear entirely. As I mentioned before, Managers and supervisors and HR people tend to be the default um, kind of hierarchical structure when it comes to speaking up about inappropriate behavior or unfair treatment. Um, and that's also what we know is one of the biggest barriers to, um, to reporting. And so giving people options and more fluidity in terms of who they actually report to will increase the chances that they're likely to speak up. The other thing, and I, I swear to God, this is not me. This is um, a 2018 organizational psychology study as well as a 2014 study uh, that was sort of assessing different tactics tried by, of all places, the U.S. military for decreasing harassment. The other thing is to offer an anonymous reporting method, right? Give people the option to speak up about things without having to have their name tied directly to it. And according to this research, if you do those two things, so give people options about who to report to and offer a way to report anonymously, workplace harassment and discrimination will reduce or, quote, disappear. Things that every company can do. And I think that is that was a very empowering thing to me to learn, right, is that there is a very there are very tangible solutions to this problem. We just have to care enough to implement them. Right, right. And I mean, it's really exciting. Like it's not so often that you dig into 
like such a complex problem like this and you come away with like solutions that are pretty easy (laughs) (laughs) and that are like completely attainable it blows my mind and I just I like want to shout that from the rooftops because I think we tend to think of this as such a systemic and pervasive problem that it becomes really easy to be I feel like it's 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 a little bit like how I feel about climate change right it's really easy to become overwhelmed by it and to just feel like there's nothing that you can really do in the face of the problem to make real progress but I think it's important to remember that there is yeah yeah so basically I I really hope that this conversation gives people hope and helps them feel empowered like whether you're someone who is experiencing harassment or discrimination, witnessing it, or you are a leader at a company in some way. Um, There there are really tangible things that you can do um, to make the world of work a better place. Yeah, definitely. well, uh, thank you so much, Jessica. I, I really appreciate you um, sharing your wisdom and expertise. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. You can find out more about Spot at talktospot.com. And as always, if you'd like some coaching on things like aligning your work with your values or leading in a courageous and inclusive way, you can schedule a time to talk with me at the-cocoon.co.